I'd like to uh, acknowledge that we're very much in what I often feel is the heart of the retreat. So we've been here together for a few days and uh, there's something very uh, beautiful and, and special about this period might not necessarily be easy yeah and yet there's a a certain depth uh that is there yeah sometimes it can um be very elusive yeah especially if things are a little bit more challenging yeah because it seems like ah oh, there's a storm perhaps or there's some rockiness yeah uh, actually it's a degree of um steadiness that's also uh, supporting us to perceive it yeah there's a degree of clarity that's also supporting us to perceive it so yeah i love that phrase heart of the retreat so i'm going to say it again because i've got the mic <laughs> i can feel just what what that means uh, for you and also that sense of um all of us here journeying into this heart um both due to our own you know courage and skill yeah. and compassion and also um supported by uh, by others yeah and there's a really Yeah, I think I said it in the opening talk, but there's something about this particular form where we're both here and everywhere. <laughs> that is, yeah, really powerful to to feel that mutual support. And a question for us um with this kind of period of the heart of the retreat a few questions that can be arising you know one is um you know how can i settle into being here more fully yeah it can be a a question that we can ponder yeah. what would support a sense of kind of deeper settling and how we can also support each other Yeah so um yeah it's a, it's a it's a special thing when we all come together <laughs> and we're you know so many individuals impacting our practice and uh there's an invitation yeah this point this part just to be kind of to kind of amp up our sensitivity to kind of how we move around the common spaces yeah and um you know here in the hall yeah sometimes there may be a situation where someone needs to leave yeah and and that's okay but just kind of really being yeah sensitive to that both in ourselves if we need to go and in uh ourselves if that has an impact on our practice yeah. just kind of uh, noticing that uh, the door is open yeah I actually used to like having it open. <laughs> also before COVID and the ventilation needs. Um 
but can that be an invitation yeah to come in and to include life but just to notice yeah still coming in on time if possible still staying till the end if possible yeah. if we need to leave then yeah, finding somewhere else to practice as yeah, a support for the for the silence yeah the same with you know things like drinking especially today's been a cool day did you notice oh, cooler <laughs> at least yeah but especially with the heat, you know, there may be a real sense I'd be lovely to bring a drink in. And again, some people need to do that for physical needs. And by all means, if that's the case, please do that. But if, if we don't, you know, then if we can just have a good glug <laughs> before we come in. And then, yes, kind of, yeah, that sense of sensitivity and support for the, for the practice. Also, at, at this time, you know, often some of the questions that come up are, okay, this is, this is really interesting and valuable, but how does it relate to something that's outside the container of the retreat? These questions can come up, might be on a personal uh, level, might be to do with uh, things that we meet in the world. Uh, and that's a beautiful question. That's a beautiful exploration. It's important. And so just want to name that and to say, at this point, what we would suggest is to um, prioritize the resourcing of yourself within these conditions. Um, bring it to one-to-one, if you wish. Um, but we will also be speaking about that towards the end. Yeah, so just that you know that will be addressed. Um, and the last kind of invitation around this is um, to also kind of increase the sensitivity to your own rhythm of practice. Yeah. So for most of us, you know, the, the simplicity of the rhythm continues to be a support of the schedule. Uh, but maybe, you know, you may have noticed just before lunch, we have a half hour sitting in here and then a half hour meditation and movement outside. Yeah. Maybe, you know, the bell rings at the end of the half hour sit and we think, ah, what about sitting longer? Yeah, so we might kind of start to, to play with that. Um, or maybe, um, you know, we had our tea and we've had a little wander in the grounds and we're, yeah, what should I do now? And maybe I think, oh, maybe I'll come in a little bit early. You know, so without any sense of pressure at all, at all, yeah, following the schedule is for most of us, probably the most beneficial thing we could do, but also knowing there's also that possibility to, to start listening yeah, more and seeing if there's sometimes a, an, an invitation that comes uh, internally. Um, and if there is, you know, check it out. Yeah, it's not a, not a, a kind of a lifetime commitment <laughs> to sit past the bell. But it can just be something to, to check and see. And I was saying to Tony before, like, I love that bit of the schedule because there's the lunch bell. <laughs> so that you're really sorted. <laughs> and just sit, if you want, for an hour. And there will be a bell at the end. So, a friend of mine and I once 
tried to teach a retreat without saying so. Gosh, it's so hard. (laughs) Wow. I don't know why. I don't know why that word. Anyway. Today, in the instructions, um, we brought in Vedana, niceness opinion, as a uh, an insight way of looking. Yeah, I started playing with that. Um, and I want to say uh, a little bit more yeah, about, about Vedana and about what it reveals. In the, uh, in the teachings, there's uh, this sequence that's called uh, the 12 links of dependent origination. And... Um, I'm not going to go into it in any depth, but there's a particular little sequence of that sequence <laughs> that I find really helpful. So I have to confess, I think almost every retreat I teach, I speak about it, because yeah, I find it so helpful. In the sequence, um, the Buddha points out to us that when we have an experience, one of the factors of that experience, one of the building blocks of that experience is contact. Yeah? Contact between uh, our sense doors, our ears, our eyes, our nose, our body sense, our mouth, uh, and our mind uh, with a sense stimulation. Yeah? Sounds, sights, smells, tastes, sensations, uh, thoughts, mental life, emotions. So there's contact. Yeah? And as Nathan was talking, uh, speaking of this morning, uh, with that contact, when it, when it becomes known to us, uh, Vedana gets assigned. Yeah, that niceness opinion. Nice, not nice. I uh, don't really know, so I'm not really interested. I call it the uneventful. <laughs> doesn't have enough in it to, to grab our attention. That Vedana escalates, if it's unattended to, grows in intensity from uh, not nice to really not nice, yeah, to I really don't like it, to I really need to get rid of it. So it kind of grows, it escalates uh, if we're not attending to it. And it escalates into tanha. Now, remember tanha, Nathan was speaking about it yesterday. The demand that arises with dukkha. Craving, most commonly translated as craving. So this demand, the Vedana, just that little label, nice, not nice, escalates into this tanha, this uh, demand, this craving that has this intensity, this push and pull on experience. You're nice, I want to have you, and I want to make you last. You're not nice, I want to get rid of you. You're uneventful, I don't care about you. you So it escalates uh, in this way. And interestingly enough, this was coming up in some of the questions today, in the question and response, slight advert break. Um, Sorry. So, uh, interestingly enough, with the build-up of tanha, tanha arises together with 
uh, a degree of contraction. Yeah, we can sometimes feel that contraction in the physical body. We can more often feel it on a more subtle level of the body, yeah, or the awareness in the body, or the mental awareness. Yeah. Feel that sense, and we've been talking about it in different ways. The awareness shrinks, uh, or the body has some degree of tension or contraction associated with that movement of um, push and pull, yeah. reaching for something, pushing it away. And that contraction is dukkha. Yeah. So we can say that one way of recognizing dukkha is that dukkha rises with contraction. Yeah. There's a degree of contraction in the experience. And I'm going to give an example. It happened to me today. Not exactly like I'm going to tell it, but it's happened to me many times at Guy House. Um, it's lunchtime, and I'm walking towards uh, the dining room. And a, a smell appears, yeah? I start smelling lunch way before I'm there. Now, I have to confess, I know a lot of the dishes that are cooked here. Uh, I like all of them, but I have my favorites. Confession. So, there I am in the lunch queue. I it didn't happen today, the way I'm going to tell it, but it has before. There's a smell, yeah? With that smell, I think, ah, it's that one, yeah? And that has a really pleasant fade, doesn't it? Yeah. And it's like, oh, it's that one. Can you feel it? Oh, it's that one. And I'm you know, standing in the lunch queue. I'm around the bend. I can't see the serving table. Yeah. But I'm really excited that it's that one. And then I come round and it's not. <laughs> Didn't happen today, I swear. Yeah. So that pleasant Vedana, just in that little, you know, what, what is it? Just a couple of minutes, yeah? Of the smelling and the cueing and the anticipation and the fantasy and the excitement, yeah? It's escalated into, yeah, it's that one and I love that one. It's so good. And then boom, <laughs> there's a contraction there. It's not that one and there's disappointment. It might even be another one that I really like, but it's not that one. I've been fantasizing about. So we can see the Vedana escalates yeah, very quickly, yeah, very quickly. The demand escalates, the contraction um, that arises with the demand and the push and pull escalates. And then there's a, a, a moment there of a real sense of disappointment. Yeah? Dukkha. Yeah? And all of that just building up from a pleasant smell. Yeah? Just builds up. We can watch it in our minds. It's quite an interesting show if you miss TV it's a good alternative yeah watching your mind uh, with with its Vedanas um, interestingly enough sometimes like today uh, I'm walking around the bend and uh, what's on the lunch table is one of my favorites yeah is one of my favorites and so there isn't that disappointment and we could say, great, you know, the pleasure just, you know, escalated. It just got really blissful. Um, aha. Let's pay attention to the experience. Now there's pleasure. Does it last? Huh? Does it last? And I really encourage you to check that <laughs> for yourself, yeah? Really interesting. I can tell you what happens in my mind, but yeah. See what happens in yours, because it's really interesting. And of course, it doesn't last. Yeah? 
It doesn't last. Sometimes it doesn't even last um, till the moment where I've, I've put, I'm serving myself. You know, it's so quickly it goes, yeah? Because the, um, the quality of tanha is that actually it's a thrill seeker. It's more interested in the thrill <laughs> of the grasping than actually in the getting of, yeah? So very quickly, it goes looking for something else. Yeah? That's why the, the literal um, translation, thirst, actually is quite good for it. It's just, we, you know, we're thirsty, we drink, we think it's going to be over, we get thirsty again. Yeah? And it happens much quicker than it happens uh, to the body. So it doesn't last one because that kind of thrill-seeking that, uh, sometimes I call it, it's like a sensor looking for something to satisfy, yeah? That will just kind of go to something else, um, something to fixate on, yeah? So that's one reason why um, the, the pleasure doesn't, um, doesn't last. The other is that even when things are going our way, that contraction is still there. Remember I said the contraction arises with the movement of tanha. Yeah? It arises with the demand, with the push and pull, with the grasping on experience. And so on some level, dukkha is already there. Yeah? It's already there underneath uh, the surface. And as we become more sensitive, we can see it more clearly. It's there because there's a contraction. Yeah. You know, and again, if, you know, just my mind, you know, it's like, ah, oh, I'm really late and there's not that much left of the mashed potatoes. How much is legit to take? Yeah? yeah. And, and really, like I sometimes stand there and my mind is trying to calculate how many people haven't eaten yet. It's like impossible to know. Yeah? How could I know that? But, I, you know, it's trying to deal um, the circumstances that I can have more. Yeah? That's <laughs> what it's trying to do. And you can see that's, you know, that's a contraction. Stuka, right there. Comes from that greed. So there's a few interesting points there, you know, beyond the uh, expose of my mind and its, uh, you know, ongoing explorations of uh, of dukkha, contraction, and tanha. Um, There's two interesting points here about our human condition. One is, and it's a repeat from something that Nathan said this morning, the build-up and construction of dukkha is a process of escalation. Yet there's a building up of that process. There's a building up of uh, intensity. There's a building up of escalation. There's a building up of factors that come together to give it more more substance Uh, when there's dukkha. Um, And when we stay with Vedana, when we stay at that ah, a pleasant smell yeah? and don't get triggered into that whole uh, papancha train, that whole proliferation of thinking and fantasizing and expectation yeah? the dukkha doesn't build up. Can you see that? It's, it's really quite significant yeah? if I can stay with a pleasant smell the pleasant smell is actually really delightful you know, really delightful. I can stay with that, and I can stay with the Vedana of that. Ah, it's pleasant. You know, and the mind will say, oh, I wonder if it's that. Yeah, I wonder. Yeah. Pleasant Vedana. 
Oh, maybe it's that, no, yeah, maybe. Pleasant Vedana. Yeah? Just stay with that. Yeah? Stay with that. This really can be really, really freeing. So when we stay with the Vedana, there's a lot less escalation into dukkha. So either the dukkha doesn't get built up at all, or it gets built up, but to a much, much smaller degree. Yeah, and that's uh, what we've been saying about the relationship between dukkha and freedom. So that's one interesting uh, thing to see. The other is to see uh, that dukkha arises, as Nathan said last night, it arises with tanha, it arises with this demand, it arises with this um, thirst, craving, grasping, um, including aversion. Yeah, grasping includes aversion and desire. But it also arises with contraction. Yeah, arises with contraction. It also arises with a more pronounced, what I like to call louder, uh, sense of self. Yeah? It's also interesting to see, Nathan was talking about it, the for me, yeah? the niceness opinion for me. Yeah, that builds up as well. So when there's more dukkha, and reflect on this in your own experience, the sense of self is usually louder, uh, more dominant, uh, more um, gross, yeah? more um, also uh, boundaried. Yeah? This is me, and that's everyone else, or that's you, you know, depending. This is me, and that's all the other people that haven't had mashed potatoes yet. In our example. So dukkha arises with a whole bunch of other factors. Co-arise together, or dukkha is constructed with, um, of, and arises with contraction, tanha, stronger sense of self, or louder sense of self. Also, interestingly enough, uh, a more... Um, a stronger sense of time. I'm not going to, I shouldn't have said that, but I said it. <laughs> it's quite subtle, but also we can notice when there's more of a sense of self or there's more dukkha, time becomes much more uh, prominent in our awareness. Yeah, and the easiest example for that, you know, some discomfort in the body and it feels like the meditation just isn't, isn't ending. You know, time suddenly is like oh, really slow. So it becomes much more dominant in our experience. If you remember, I think yesterday Nathan spoke of dukkha. I gave another uh, way of understanding dukkha. Dukkha as that which can be released. Dukkha as that which can be released. And we might ask, how? (laughs) I'd love to release it. Just tell me, how? How do we release it? And one way of uh, releasing dukkha is through the easing of contraction. So the contraction that we can access through the sense of the body, through awareness, can be eased. And when that is eased, all of these other factors are eased. And we've been doing this with the various practices that we've been exploring here. Now that's what we've been doing. Mm-hmm. We've been easing contraction, we've been releasing dukkha, yeah? we've been letting it drain out <laughs> of experience. 
to use Nathan's image. So, you know, we've been opening the space of awareness through the body or to the realm of sound. What does that do? Spaciousness, when there's space, contraction can't really catch, right? It counters that. When there's spaciousness, when there's um, um, kind of openness or softness in the, in the body or in the space of awareness, yeah? contraction doesn't uh, catch. Yeah? Same thing, when we uh, explore a longer, more nourishing breath, that also eases contraction, opens the space. Yeah? So can you see that? that? Kind of that thread, that's some of what's been going on in our experience. And of course, as I said earlier, when we've been working with the Vedana practice, that also eases the contraction through the non-building, the non-escalation and construction, which then includes um, the contraction. And of course, metta also releases and eases contraction. Metta also releases and eases contraction and therefore uh, releases dukkha, dissolves dukkha. We can say metta uh, is a way of looking, a way of relating that in its essence counters rejection and dissolves that really strong habit of the push and pull, of the demand on experience. Because if we're friendly (laughs) towards something, yeah. It's much more of an open-handed approach than give me yeah. something. And again, we know that. If we use that um, translation of metta as friendliness, and when we think of moments of uh, really nourishing friendship that we've had, yeah, whether someone has kind of offered that to us or we're offered that to them, yeah, there's that sense of non-demanding, yeah, non-demanding. And we can also reflect on our experience with meta practice here over the days or through our practice lives and really kind of think, ah, when there's um, goodwill, when there's friendliness, when there's care, whether we're practicing it formally or we're bringing it forth as an attitude. What does the body-heart-mind space feel like? What does it feel like? And probably there's a sense of some openness, some fluidity, some flow, some spaciousness, some relaxation. And, and, and we can play with this, if you like games. <laughs> so you can play with this. Like when you're feeling, whatever it is, you know, it might be, um, I expect this is the most common experience for many, many of us, probably feeling a sense of goodwill and friendliness. Um, might be outside with the big trees, yeah? 
And, and, and just imagine, kind of, imagine yourself standing there and go or go and do it later, and standing there and feeling that sense of goodwill, feeling that sense of friendliness, and then trying <laughs> to contract the body, to tense the body, just explore what that's like, and then we can start to see. Yeah, it doesn't go together. <laughs> yeah, you contract the body, kind of sense of friendliness goes. Yeah. And we bring the friendliness, and the body doesn't want to contract. Yeah? So we can start to see that, that relationship. So we can say, yeah, when, when metta is present, yeah, either in formal practice or not in formal practice, yeah, we might, some of us, we might find it easier to uh, relate to this quality of metta uh, from remembering, as I said, uh, things in our life, yeah, moments in our life, moments in our history, perhaps, or particular relationships, yeah, or maybe it's um, even a sense that we get around a being that we've never met, yeah. Like for some of us, it might be uh, the Buddha, yeah, and having that sense, yeah, or it might be, um, yeah. Sometimes it's surprising. <laughs> You know, maybe it's it's some um, you know image from um, our religion as children, yeah, that comes up and, and symbolizes that, yeah, that compassion of of um, Muhammad, yeah, yeah. So a lot of my Muslim uh, friends have shared with me, yeah, or of of Jesus, or of. Um, one of the Tibetan deities, you know, there might be, there's all kinds of possibilities, and might, something might symbolize that for us, so that we can relate to that attitude, that quality. And so when there's goodwill, when there's metta, when there's that sense of friendliness and care, yeah, all these qualities, the open, openness, the spaciousness, um, Sometimes the warmth, the allowing, yeah, the non-rejection, yeah, non-rejection, non-grasping, yeah, non-demand. We can start to feel that relationship. It's quite helpful for our understanding. The opposite of. And just like we were doing with that tree game, you know, it's also the opposite. When there's less... Uh, rejection, when there's less grasping, when there's less demand, uh, like when we may be um, breathing in a way that's nourishing, we might find, ah, there's actually more openness, there's more warmth, uh, there's more intimacy, there's more spaciousness. And so then the kind of movement into metta is is very close. It's very, very close. And so with all of that, you know, there's, we also are interested to see, ah, there's less contraction there. Yeah? And there's less dukkha. And there's less for me. Yeah? There's less for me. And less struggle. So metta supports, co-arises with openness of heart and being, with ease and spaciousness, um, with well-being, with non-dukkha. Yeah? And 
that is important. Yeah, I'm realizing I'm harping on about it. Uh, but that is important um, because when there's more spaciousness and ease, yeah, more well-being, less dukkha, less contraction, it brings more possibility of response and of attending wisely to our experience. Yeah, you can really, again, feel it in the body. When the body's contracted, there's <laughs> a lot less movement possible for us. Yeah? And when the body is relaxed, yeah. This is just an image. Yeah. Then there's more possibilities of movement. There's more possibilities and range uh, of uh, how we can attend to our experience. So it can be an interesting practice yeah. to do uh, and an interesting inquiry for us to see regardless of the Vedana, yeah, regardless of the initial Vedana, regardless of whether it's pleasant or unpleasant or uneventful, can I practice, can I see what happens when um, I welcome or I allow yeah. or I care for yeah. or I enjoy? Yeah, so we can see there's a range. Yeah. If the Vedana is pleasant, I can enjoy it. If it's unpleasant, maybe it's more a sense of care and compassion. But kind of equally... Um, equally opening towards to the degree that is appropriate for each of us at any time, yeah, depending on what is coming up. So when there's less reactivity, more responsiveness, there's more well-being as well. It's another layer of well-being. There's less reactivity, more responsiveness, more a sense of, ah, there's something I can do. Brings more, uh, more well-being. And so we can um, really see this in the, in, the, in the Vedana practice and how it opens up into this insight, into the, the construction of dukkha. Um, you know, when something is pleasant, and I hope it was obvious in the, in the lunch queue example, you know, we can enjoy that smell. It's not like, no, no enjoyment, stay equanimous. Yeah? We can enjoy it yeah, and use that beautiful uh, line from, I think it's William Blake, kiss the joy as it flies. Yeah, be really intimate with it. Yeah? Really enjoy it. But allow it to keep flying. Yeah? Allow it to keep moving yeah, when it's pleasant. When it's uneventful, I touched on it earlier today, can I be interested in that? Because if I can, yeah, it's going to start becoming eventful. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's something we can cultivate again. And if it's unpleasant, bringing this meta-attitude that then becomes compassion, yeah. the care, yeah, to, ah, this, this is unpleasant, this hurts. And we bring the meta towards that. So we're not demanding of it, but we're caring for it. Do you see that possibility? So this is a, a life-affirming <laughs> practice. Yeah. It's not about, you know, disengaging. Yeah. 
It's about this appropriate response, this wise attentiveness. And as we become more uh, skilled in this, yeah, it's easier, becomes easier for us to let things come in the time and let them be. Yeah. And also let them go. Yeah, so we can see that. Yeah, also let them go. This kind of uh, image that I find so useful of like the open hand rather than the clenched one. Now the open hand, not clenching to grab something, not clenching to push something away, but open, receptive. You can come, you can be here, and you can go all in your time. And I think it, it's pretty clear to us that there is less dukkha in that experience, yeah? in that way of relating, yeah? of allowing things to be there, of enjoying them without holding on, of bringing interest to that which usually we're uninterested in, yeah? bringing that intimacy of bringing metta to the difficult and the challenging and the painful. And always I have to emphasize, you know, to the appropriate degree for you. (laughs) Yeah, because we're all, uh, you know, this variety of experiences that we have and things that we're meeting, conditions that we're meeting. So this really um, leads to such an important insight that we've touched on and I'm going to say again, you know, there's less dukkha there because of the way of looking and relating, yeah? Not because of what we're looking at, yeah? Not in the object, yeah? Or we can say not fully in the object, yeah? Not only in the object, yeah? The way of relating plays such a significant part. And interestingly, the release of contraction can also uh, bring, uh, you know, not just kind of the fading of dukkha or the lessening of dukkha, but it actually can bring energy. Yeah, it can bring enthusiasm. Yeah, because a lot of our energy is bound up in the habits of reactivity, in this pushing away, in the pulling towards, in the contracting. Yeah, a lot of our energy is bound up in that habitually not doing it consciously most of the time. And when that is released, the energy is released. It can also be interesting that, you know, sometimes joy <laughs> appears, yeah? It can be quite joyful, yeah, that release. And again, don't rush. <laughs> if joy appears, enjoy it, yeah? Enjoy it. Sometimes as uh, we release contraction, more harmonization or tranquility will appear. And again, take time. Yeah. Sometimes it's just very fleeting. It comes and it goes. Yeah. Like a, a bird or a butterfly. It's a good season for butterflies. Yeah. Flying through our um, visual field. Yeah. And that we can be touched by that. 
even if it's just passing through. (laughs) Touched and and deeply touched. A sense of harmonization or tranquility or joy. Any degree, any type of well-being. So when I, I've been speaking a lot about metta here, and I just want to uh, really clarify, um, when I'm speaking about metta in this context, uh, I'm not just talking about the formal metta practice. I think I said it, but I want to make it even more clear. It's not just about sitting here and doing the phrases or radiating the metta, or whichever way you're using I- I- images. It can be very much but it can be just the meta-attitude that we bring to our, um, to our experience that we're cultivating through all forms of our practice. And so maybe this is the opportunity uh, to say and to remind there's many ways that we can practice metta, yeah, both in a formal meditation and outside of it. Um, And also for some of us, and some of you already may know this or you've discovered this and you might be doing it, um, it can be a primary practice. And if that's the case for you and if it hasn't been clear so far, then you can use metta as your primary practice. If you want to do the the formal practice or you just want to emphasize that kindness in attention with any other form of practice. How's the energy? It's not as hot today. Less excuses. Yeah. One of our teachers set a really bad example for us with long talks. Some teachers, I'll tell you this, so that when you next book a retreat at Gaia House, you know most teachers only speak for 45 minutes. We got you. You're here now. Too late. Yeah. Longer talks. So, can also be interesting and valuable to know that metta, as well as um, a, an attitude and a practice that uh, kind of eases contraction, releases dukkha. Um, is also um, embod- an embodiment of insight. So metta is also a way of relating. I think I said that, but it's also an embodiment of insight. So an embodiment of wisdom. Yeah. Another way of saying that is that it's rooted in some insights, and as we cultivate it, we're also developing those uh, insights further um, and deeper. And when I say insight, I mean uh, a seeing that frees us, seeing that liberates us, seeing that unbinds us, seeing that releases us from uh, dukkha, ways of relating. So what what am I referring to? Um, So for example, you know, 
metas rooted in this understanding, in this insight that experience is shaped and fabricated um, by the attitude in the mind. You know, this thing that we've been harping on about, saying it in different ways over and over again and sometimes in the same way. Yeah. It's rooted in that understanding. Yeah. Because um, if our experience didn't change, yeah, wasn't shaped, wasn't impacted by the way of relating. Why cultivate a particular way of relating? Yeah. Yeah. So it's rooted in that. Um, it's also rooted um, in the understanding that the mind is not fixed. Yeah. That the heart mind is actually pliable, trainable, yeah, adaptable, yeah. flexible. And that we can incline it in certain directions. We can incline it towards more wholesome uh, ways of relating. That's possible for us to do. And it's also, metta is also, metta practice, metta cultivation, is also rooted in uh, the understanding and the confidence or faith, yeah, that doing this again and again, yeah, does strengthen the wholesome grooves in our mind. Yeah? Does strengthen the wholesome ways of relating in the heart and, and mind. And that means that they become more accessible for us. Yeah? More accessible for us. The practices or the attitudes of Metta and its sisters, yeah, Compassion, unselfish joy, uh, equanimity. Yeah. They're also rooted and uh, developing yeah, both directions. Uh, this understanding that there's something that we share with all beings. Yeah. And that is that all beings, all of us, wish to be happy. Yeah, wish to be well. Yeah. Something that we share with all beings, you know, from the kind of an insect that's never been seen by a human um, eye somewhere in the Amazon, and thank goodness there's still some of those places in the world, yeah, to us right here, yeah. We all share that, the wish to be well, the wish to um, live well, yeah, on the earth. So we all wish to be free of suffering is another way of saying it. Mm. All of us. All living beings. And the invitation of our practice is to reflect, you know, what happens when we relate to each other through this perspective? Yeah? When we relate to each other through this perspect perspective, we all wish to be free of suffering. How does that impact our own experience? How does that impact our relationship to the world? And how does it impact the world? Yeah, so how does it impact our own experience? How does it impact the sense of well-being and freedom in our experience? So perhaps we can already see that 
um, looking in this way, asking these questions, exploring in this way can be a fuel and a support for further insight. Yeah? Further insight. Yeah? Seeing, okay, when I cultivate this, how does it impact my experience? What do I learn yeah, as I practice in this way? What do I learn as I practice in ways that reduce contraction? What do I learn as I practice in ways that um, bring metta as a central attitude? What do I learn about how experience is shaped? What do I learn about the relationship between self and other? And what do I learn about what nourishes well-being on the deepest level? On the deepest level. So one of the things I love about uh, metta is that it is an expression in the moment and just like, even if it's just a butterfly yeah, flying past, just in that moment, it's an expression of the goal, yeah, goal of this path, yeah, which is yeah, a mind without ill will, yeah, a mind without ill will, without cruelty, and without demand. Yeah. So what happens in these moments if we say to ourselves, ah, look at that, a moment, yeah, a moment of awakening right here, a taste, a glimpse, yeah, non-ill will, non-cruelty, non-demand, and we allow ourselves to feel that beauty, that depth, that inspiration. And it can be really interesting. We say non-demand and at the same time <laughs> there is a level of demand, yeah, which is, you know, that wish, that heart's wish for release, that heart's wish for um, the ending of suffering, yeah, our own suffering and the suffering of all beings. And so we hold that together and we understand the non-demanding we're talking about doesn't mean letting go of that. Yeah? Doesn't mean letting go of that. That's the fuel yeah, for our practice. It's the motivation of all Buddhas, of all Buddhas and all Bodhisattvas, yeah? of all the beings. Yeah? Buddhist or non-Buddhist, <laughs> all the beings that walk this path and that have brought it to some fruition. Yeah. So metta is an expression of the goal of the path and it's also a way of walking the path. Yeah, it's both expression of that which we are walking towards and also a way of walking right now and a map or a lighthouse to walk by. So I'm going to uh, like to end with just a practice question that uh, I, really, uh, I really love and I find incredibly useful in my own practice, which is to ask, yeah, 
And some of you have been doing this in your own ways and maybe in your own language. Um, but it's to ask myself, what does matter look like here and now? In this situation, yeah? in this unfolding, right now, what would it look like? What does it look like? And there's many possibilities. Yeah? But it comes back to that sensitivity that I was touching on at the beginning. Yeah. Uh, sensitivity to remember the question if you find it helpful. And feel free to also kind of change it a little bit. It might be compassion is more the appropriate word for you. What does compassion look like here and now? Yeah. There's so many possibilities of response there. Yeah. Each kind of meeting the moment of experience that's unfolding here and now. So let's have a quiet moment together to just sit here in the silence and let things settle. May our practice together be for the welfare and for the benefit of all beings everywhere, including ourselves. And may our practice together continue to sow the seeds of the freedom from suffering of all beings everywhere including ourselves. So thank you for your listening, your practice and your presence. And Enjoy some time for moving the body and caring for the body. We'll be back here at 8.45 for our last meditation of the day together. <laughs>